What's up, Warriors? I'm Kaylee. And I'm Betsy. And this is the Not Your Mama Pod. The Not Your Mama Pod are not experts of anything but talking. If you need medical or professional help, we do encourage you in finding the appropriate resources. Please know we are just speaking of our experiences or of the experiences of other and have no medical degrees. What's up, guys? So we have a super special guest today. Melissa may or may not know, um, not only is her podcast, The Cycle, the first endometriosis podcast I ever listened to, but it was also the first podcast I ever was on. So you have a staple in my little podcasting world and in my mental sanity during all that. So I'm super excited that you came on and you'll kind of talk to us about who you are. So welcome and thank you. Welcome, Melissa. Thanks for being here. Oh my gosh. Thank you both so much for being here. I'm so excited and I love your show. So I'm very grateful for the kind words. Thank you so much. And I did not know those things. So (laughs) thank you for telling me those at the beginning, just to really kick us off super, super positive, super special. So um, my name is Melissa and I have endometriosis. I feel like I'm at a, I'm at a a meeting right now. A a little AA meeting to start us off. I am part of the crowd. No. So, you know, endo warrior here, I started my podcast on endo about four years ago. So a little about me, I work in marketing as my day job and just have always had a passion for endo. Um, trying to help people because of just my personal struggle. And, you know, you mentioned the podcast and I was just like, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? And Mm -hmm. social media started to become a little bit too much for me. So I was trying to think of other creative ways of like things I could do. And so I was like, you know what I think is so powerful is just sharing stories because that's what always resonates with me. And I was like, maybe I can just interview people. I no idea what I was doing. And here I am four years later, and it's been probably one of the most rewarding things I've ever done because I've met so many people through it, but also just some of the emails and messages that I get. And it's not me, it's the people who are coming on to share their story that are really making a difference. So yeah. And I live in Michigan and it's summer and I'm really happy about that. And I'm sad because <laughs> somebody said it's going to be August 20th here. So I don't no. know when the show goes live, but I'm already like, no. It's so. about to be cold. That cold front's hitting the Midwest too. I'm not prepared we, for yeah. it. Yeah. We had like a 55 degree. I'm in Ohio. Oh my so gosh. we had like a 55 degree day yesterday and I wore like a thermal and I was like, I love this. Like no, I'm into not this ready. life. <laughs> not ready. Same. I'm ready. <laughs> I love sweater I, weather. Give me sweater weather any day. I swear it's part endo, but I thrive in the heat. Like my body works better and I like just want to be outside. So every time it gets cold, I'm like, why do I live in the Midwest again? Like, why do I stay here? I feel the same way. I'm telling you, like when I'm cold, like in the winter, I swear my pain is worse. Like there's something like, I just am like, I feel like the tin man. Sometimes I'm just like, so creaky, you know, a hundred percent. Well, we appreciate it. And, uh, you kind of hit on exactly why I gravitated towards your podcast. So if we didn't say it's called the cycle endometriosis podcast, and it was the first time I ever heard stories and I could resonate with things and I didn't feel so alone. It was before I was super active in the online community. So I was just trying to look for somebody that like, is this symptom 
similar, did you guys experience this? Um, and then the, your podcast is really good on hitting both on the endometriosis and adenomyosis pains and symptoms and things like that. But it also hits on infertility and other impacts to daily life from this chronic illness that we don't have any answers and no one to go to. So it's a great listen. If you guys don't follow it or listen to it, do it now because it is absolutely amazing. And you get to hear from people all over the world. Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, that really, like I have chills when you say that it really does mean a lot to me. And again, it's just, I wanted to give a space and platform for people to talk. And one quick, crazy kind of story that came out of the podcast, yeah. I had interviewed someone who part of her story actually led me to further investigating some of this pain that I was having. So she, I always thought like, I carry this like work bag, right. On mm -hmm. my right shoulder. And I always had this like shoulder blade pain and pain that went down my back. And I'm like, it's cause I carry this heavy work bag, uh, switch shoulders, whatever. And she was telling me this story about how she got diagnosed with, um, thoracic and, uh, endometriosis or, uh, it was a cyst on her liver that was endometriosis. Wow. And, uh, or it was like a, I think, I believe it was a cyst. And she was like, and all of the pain was referred pain into my shoulder and my neck. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my, I just learned something on my own podcast because I never associated any of that pain yeah. to be, and it, and it was like, for me, I actually had like an adhesion that was like pulling down on my diaphragm. And it was like, causing a pain behind my shoulder blade and in my neck. I was like, this is blowing my mind right now. Like I totally didn't think it was related and it was. Oh, that's so cool. Plus it also reassures you to like stop gaslighting yourself. Cause we tend to do that. Right. We focus on the major areas and gaslight yeah. the middle one. So somebody else saying, Hey, you may not be okay right now. Like go get that checked out. I love it. It was crazy. Definitely <laughs> crazy. So let's jump into your story. Tell us about either your first period or the first time you kind of realized something was wrong. And let's kind of walk through how you knew you had endo. It is a story and <laughs> I will try to edit it down. Uh, it's been a long road, but I, I started my cycle in middle school and I, I think it was painful right from the start, which I can remember, but really high school is when things started to go like awry for me where I was missing school. Like I remember mm -hmm. writhing on the couch, like rocking back and forth. And I grew up, my grand, I actually live with my grandmother and she was like, Oh, here's some more milk. She grew up in Wisconsin <laughs> dairy, you know, whatever. I was like, no, I don't want more milk. I'm literally vomiting and laying on the bathroom floor. I'm good. But she was trying to help. Like that's right. what, you know, her mom probably gave her, but again, this is normal. The whole thing we all know. And I, I really just struggled through high school, thought it was totally normal, would miss school. I missed my graduation because Ugh. I had started my period that day. I remember being like, there was a party after graduation. And I remember I was laying like in my friend's parents' like study in the front of their house and like, all, and it was right by the front door and like all my friends are walking in, everybody's drinking and partying. Cause it's the last day of school, whatever. Yes, we were underage, but <laughs> we were in a safe space. But, and I, I distinctly remember that moment because I'm like, why doesn't anyone else have this or go yeah. through this or, or do they all just do it behind closed doors? So I remember that moment. And there was another moment that I went to the, like the nurse's office or whatever. And I was like, I passed out, I was sweating, you know, the, just the pain was so severe. I couldn't 
control my bodily functions. Yeah. And I remember them asking, are you on drugs or or like, like it was just, they didn't believe that my pain was that severe where I was literally, you know, the cold sweat just so, and I just, I, I had an OBGYN that I loved at that point. And also it was just like, here you go. Try this birth control. Here's some naproxen sodium. That was the thing that everybody was all hot on, you know, in the early 2000s, the nineties. And I was like, this naproxen sodium doesn't even touch this pain. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going back to my ibuprofen. Like, I don't know what you're telling me. And I tried a myriad of birth controls. The one where you have a period only every four months, the Nuva ring, the, you name it. I tried it. All of it. I still had pain. Um, I would say it would help with the bleed, like my bleeding wasn't as heavy, which was yeah. nice. Um, but I just, I learned to live with it. And I always was someone who didn't use tampons. And this is something I also le- learned about on my podcast was, okay, it's kind of taboo to be like, I don't use tampons, but I remember being invited to go on someone's boat at the end mm-hmm. of high school. And I was like, I can't go. And they were like, why? And I was like, I'm on my period. Like, there's no way I can go on a boat right now. What if I fall in the water? All those like, yeah. whatever. Plus I probably didn't feel good. And she was like, well, why don't you just wear a tampon? I'm just like, it hurts. Like I can't. And, and I remember her face being like, what? And so all of these things I kind of noticed, but didn't correlate it. I just yeah. thought didn't realize that it wasn't like what everyone else dealt with. Also, I thought they were all just like hiding it behind closed doors. And so I just was like, this is my life. I'm one of these people. And really the turning point came for me when I was in my early twenties and I just started to feel sick every day. Like my friends are going out, they're having fun. I was a general manager of a retail store and everyone would be like going out after and having dinner, going out to the bars. And this is like in my early twenties. And I was like, how do these people do this? I'm working. Like for me, I was like, I must just be working too hard. And that's why I'm so tired. And I really didn't associate it again. I remember laying in the back of the store with a heating pad and people just walking by me, like it was normal, checking on me, giving me water, making sure. And I'm the manager of the store. And this is how I'm managing the store. I'm laying on the floor. (laughs) And I, I finally was like, like something's got to be going on. And I got to this point where I was literally eating broth and crackers. Like it's not even an exaggeration. And I was just like, this is normal. Like, you know, but I got so skinny. And then one day I passed out at work and that was like, okay. Melissa, something is wrong with you. You need to go figure this out. And that's yeah. when I went to my family doctor, went and saw GI doc, thought it was stomach. Again, it was my yeah. stomach. I just, the nausea. So when I say, I think what's helpful to talk about sometimes in the podcast, and I know I'm going kind of fast because my story's long, but is what symptoms I was experiencing on an everyday basis. So it wasn't that I had cramps every day. I had migraines. I was super nauseous. I never really was a vomiter, but I couldn't eat. Like I physically just like couldn't eat. Um, and my stomach would just burn. And I thought I had an ulcer. Like I really didn't know. And so nausea was always my worst offender. And then it would be like dizziness and and migraines. Like those were my, and then just a general, what I call the endo flu, like we're a general feeling of, and I, it's the brain fog, it's the fatigue, 
but when I didn't know what was wrong with me, I just always felt run down. That's how yeah. I would describe it. Run down with the flu. Like, That's and I, the exact words I use, I have flu-like symptoms all the time. I have fevers when I'm on my period, I can't eat. I have digestion issues. What's the like hundred things I listed. Oh, and my periods kind of suck. Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's like, we're institutionalized before you get there. Yeah. Yeah. Every like, and that's how I felt every day. And then my cycle was just like the nightmare of yeah. the, of the week and ovulation was painful. And so anyway, I saw every GI, I did all the GI tests, the upper and lower GI drank the stuff, blah, 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 did yeah. it all. Of course they didn't find anything. And I want to ding, ding, ding. What do you think they diagnosed me with? IBS. Yep. Yeah. IBS. <laughs> We can't find an answer. So it must be IBS. So I had IBS, they said IBS and they were like, take Nexium or whatever, like that pink pill. Yeah. I mean, it was like really highly publicized. And you know, the oh, I had it too. Yeah, of course you did. I mean, who did it? Right. And so I just remember going home that night and my intuition knew, and this was like, before I like really leaned into like trusting my gut, ha ha. Yeah. But I really, I was like, no, there's something wrong with me. These doctors don't know this isn't IBS. Like I'm sick. Like my friends are going out every night and I can't leave my bed. Like something's wrong. And that's when I started to get angry. I was like, I'm angry. And I, I I say this all the time, but Google was not as robust for you youngsters. (laughs) This is the early two thousands, right? Like you weren't just, it, it just wasn't what it is today. And I remember, I think I went to Google scholar or something like that because I was you know, just out of college. And we use that all the time for our right. research paper. You do a little ask Jeeves. <laughs> yeah, little ask, <laughs> Lycos, go get it. Remember yeah. Lycos? Okay. Now for you youngsters, you really have no idea. What I was, I'm about. sitting here. I'm like, I'm going to laugh. I have no idea. <laughs> These are old search engines that existed before Google. Betsy's just but- way more worldly than me. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I, I remember, and I just was like IBS, um, diagnosis, IBS misdiagnosis, like just trying and, and the word endometriosis came up and I started to read the symptoms. And again, I'm telling you, there was probably like four things on the internet about it. And they were like yeah. white papers, barely any re- And I was just like, I have to, again, I'm aging myself, but I was like, I have to go to the library or the bookstore. And I remember I went to borders when it still existed. And I was like in health and like all the way down on the bottom shelf, I saw this like endometriosis book. And I remember sitting on the floor again, another like pivotal moment and like just opened up this book and it was like symptoms of endometriosis. And I just started crying sitting on the floor at a borders. Like I was like, Oh my gosh, this is what I have. How how has nobody figured this out? And why am I the one doing the work? I called my OBGYN and was like, I have endometriosis. What are we doing about it? Like, like I was just like, just like come in. Da, da. So of course had an ultrasound yeah. and of course I had a cyst on both of my ovaries. Like, <laughs> and so this is now I'm like in my mid twenties, I think I was 23 or 24 at this point. And she said, let's do a, a diagnostic laparoscopic surgery. Again, I have looking back, like another reason why I started the podcast was my goodness, if somebody would have told me anything before doing all of these surgeries, which I will get into, I wish I just would have known, but I didn't. Yeah. And so I yeah. trusted her and was like, we trust our doctors. Yeah. Let's go. Let's do this. Surgery. Blind, yeah. 
blindly. I mean, I'm same way. I, I should have gotten a specialist, but I didn't know any better before, like at that time. I never like, heard the word in my life. No. Yep. <clears throat> and I had the surgery and literally her words verbatim to me was, I've never seen anything that bad in my life. I did the best I could oh. We're gonna put you on continuous birth control yeah. again. You didn't I know. still didn't. I was like, okay, like yeah. no clue what worst case I've ever seen. Like yeah. didn't know what that meant. Had no idea. And as a patient, you just heard, I cured you. And this is now your medicine. Or you're just going to have to deal with it. Like, yeah. honestly, is what it sounds like. Yeah. Again, I was just like, do, 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 do. like yeah. literally no idea. And I, after I, I, again, yeah, I guess maybe I thought cured or I was going to be fine now, worst case, but yeah. I did the best. I, I, again, I was just like, okay, take my continuous birth control work at to a point where I was like, I cannot do birth control anymore. My body doesn't tolerate it. My hormones are all over. I'm an emotional basket case. I'm crying everywhere. And I'm like, I'm just trying to like manage this store and, and do my job and get through work every day. And I'm just not functioning. And I, I called her, I was like, I can't, I cannot take birth control anymore. I'm right. Done. And so I stopped and things got really bad. Like not able to function. I don't know how I worked through all of this, especially retail. I, I, I must've just forced myself, but I found a chat board again. This is for your <laughs> youngsters. Facebook existed, but you had to be in college. It was still very, very new. And I was already out of college. So I didn't have a dot edu. There was no yeah. Facebook groups didn't exist at this point. This was just like a, you were meeting up with your friends still, right? right. It was just text only no photos. So I found a chat board and that chat board was really instrumental in me learning everything that I know now and still continue to learn about endometriosis, but found someone local in Michigan. She taught me all about excision. She taught me about changing my diet and there was a chat board and conversations and all things going on, but really like meeting this person who had one excision surgery and actually she felt great. So that's something I like to tell people all the time too. I've met so many people that have had one excision and they feel great and they may still have a little bit of a hard time, but she still looks at me and she's like, I'm so sorry. You still suffer. Cause she had her one surgery and she's did, has not looked back. Right. Like, so she was an inspiration. She taught me everything I needed to know. And I was like, okay, time to find an excision specialist, found one, had to travel out of state to have surgery, did it, was uh, diagnosed with stage four and really thought like, this is it again, mm-hmm. still not, I don't think chronic illness was ever t- like talked about. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it was. And I just mentally ignored it because I didn't want to hear it, but I really feel like that's only been the last couple of years that people are like, this is chronic. Yeah. I don't, I don't, cause I've done a lot of research back cause my mom had at least, I don't know, um, and was not really diagnosed, just got a hysterectomy really young. And so we went back to even look at stuff and it really wasn't like the idea was get pregnant, get better, then go take your uterus out. Like there wasn't anything talking about long-term pain. They thought they cured us. Um, so it is, it is such a weird thing. And even if they do maybe mention chronic now, it's not in a mental, 
health capacity. It's not preparing you for that long-term battle. It's not giving you resources or teaching you. It's just like an out kind of. I think something tremendous happened with the, like the internet with like connection of like Facebook and Instagram with being able to like build your community and be like, oh no, this is a real problem. Like this is something that, you know, millions of people deal with. And like, I still have a really hard time, like saying I have a chronic illness. Like that's not something I'm very comfortable with at all because I don't like to think about it that way. But it, I mean, it really is the reality of it. Like yeah. It's just the way that it is, I guess. <laughs> and I love that you brought up that excision works for some and doesn't work for others. Cause it's very much since B and I both live in the infertility world as well. It's very much a, we try to be positive. We don't try to give hope in a capacity where it could damage somebody. Right. Cause yeah. a lot of people don't talk about the alternative outcomes. Um, same thing with excision, there's hope and that's the gold standard. And that's why we push people to go get the gold standard will it last forever? Who knows? Will it last a week? Who knows? But it's the best option we have and we want people to get the right medical care. So just like your staging doesn't equate to your pain, your surgery may not equate to somebody next to you. It's just, we're all really different and we all have different struggles within endometriosis. And that's another reason why I really wanted to have the podcast because I think one of the biggest challenges that endometriosis has is how differently it affects everybody. Yes. Exactly what you just said. Like it may work for some people. It may not work for others. And some people don't have access to get excision and what are they supposed to do? And that's something that I literally think about on a daily basis that breaks my heart. And I feel so grateful that I had the opportunity to be able to have surgery. Um, but yeah. And it's, it's so different until we can figure out the cause, the root cause of endo. We are still going to be up in the air with these types of questions of why does it affect everybody differently? And, you know, is it more like a cancer when you have different versions of cancer, it affects you different ways. I don't know the answers to that, but these are the things that I question all the time because I just, I don't know. I know. I do have hope though. Um, with the pandemic, I won't call it the Pamoranic first. I like to switch up my P words. Yeah. It's something different every single time (laughs) (laughs) with the pandemic, uh, people connecting online and being a little bit more vocal and especially more vocal about what was, you know, hurting them and sharing. We did connect a ton. And I do think that's a huge push on a social platform for endo. And now with some of the funding and the research, I do have hope that maybe two or three generations down we might actually have some answers. If I had this conversation 10 years ago, I would have said, we will never have answers. So there's like a little light on the horizon. Maybe we'll get there. Hopefully we see it. Yeah. I, I feel hopeful that the, you know, a diagnostic tool would be really great. So people don't have to have surgery and then some treatment options would be great. And then maybe a source as to why, but as you said, 10 years ago, I mean, 25 years I've been kind of doing this and advocating for it. It's crazy to think back to that because when I first started openly, well, maybe in small circles, I wasn't openly talking about it on social media, but my close friends did start to know. And there were some hard conversations of like, why are you always sick and Mm -hmm. hurtful, very hurtful things have been said to me. Um, not intentional. I know they're not intentional, but I like to bring them up because if other people listen to this podcast that don't have endo, and I I think it's a great resource for them to hear 
things yeah. that you say can be very hurtful, but you know, in small circles and people had never heard the word, you know, I yeah. remember I did a, I did a fundraising pub crawl. I want to say in 2011 and people were like, what is this disease? Like, so I think it's come, like you said, it's come so far. And I think the pandemic with more people being online spending more time on social media and connecting communities, I think it's great. And I also think the pandemic taught a lot of people about what it's like to feel isolated when you have a yeah. chronic illness. Mm -hmm. Um, like not being able to go out, like that's our lives a lot of the time. And yeah. so there may be more empathy that is coming mean, from that isolation. I don't know. Again, I'm very contemplative about all of these things, but I think though, obviously the pandemic was awful, but some of those things might be more tools for people to be more empathetic to people who struggle with chronic illness. I fully agree. I think that's beautifully said. Thank you. I try. I mean, these are like <laughs> things I think about at night. I know we're <laughs> used to gaslighting. <laughs> we're used to doubting ourselves. Every time we hear a little For positive, sure. it usually slaps us in the face. So we're very cautious with it, but we are seeing improvements and we feel privileged to be amongst those and maybe be a voice in those to help push it forward. So yeah, for sure. So quick, like trying to get round out my story here. <laughs> yeah, let's go uh, back. Could be, I could, could go on forever, but I'll try and wrap it up quickly here. Um, after that surgery, I got home and I started to get hives all over. Long story short, I had a, an allergic reaction that almost killed me oh, um, no. where I, I had never experienced anything like this before that my hives were so bad. I like couldn't move my hands. I couldn't oh, move my joints. And then it started to attack my organs. Oh my uh, goodness. Yeah. And no one could figure out what was going on. I went to the ER and of course they said I had a UTI. And then the next day my husband had, I couldn't walk like, because mm -hmm. the, the, I, the hives were so bad and whatever reaction I was having, it was like literally attacking my body. And he had to like carry me. And he took me to my family doctor who literally got out a textbook and was like, what surgery did you have? When did um, you have it? You traveled. So she was like, you either are having an allergic reaction or you caught a virus on the plane. And she immediately got me on like crazy high dose of steroids. So this is two weeks after my first excision surgery. Oh my goodness. So that recovery was tough because I had yeah. had that reaction. Um, years later, we think it was something that they used again. This is back in the day. So this is like 2004 or five. And they've learned so much since this time, but they used a sealant um, that like spray in your abdomen. So you don't get adhesions. Well, later, years later, they found that so many people, they don't use it anymore because so many people had reactions to this. So that's our assumption. We never really knew if that's what was it, but it made sense. The sad mm. part about all of that is because I had that reaction, my adhesions from that surgery were out of control. And so a year later I had to go back to the excision doctor and have another excision surgery for the adhesions. Well, your body yeah. was probably just fighting everything. It's like, what is happening? So I'm sure your endo just blew up even more. Like and I, the, yeah. the emotion of, I saved all this money that I could barely afford to go on this trip and, and do this and yeah. stay in a hotel. And then like a year later, I feel I'm the back. same. It was devastating. It sure was, enough. it was really hard. And I went back and then after that second time, and they cleaned up all that, I'm sure again, my body was just reacting still. I don't know to this day, to be quite honest, they did find a little bit of endo when they went back in. So who knows? Yeah. Um, had that. And then I was 
I was pretty good for, for several years. Like I would have cysts come and go, come and go. My cycles were still really tough, but so that was surgery three, three or four. I've had seven, um, total. So then are you going back on birth control and stuff like that between these surgeries or you, you were adamant not to, I was, I'm not doing birth control. I just, I knew I didn't react to it. And something else I talk about, and I don't know if you both have experienced this too. I am extremely sensitive to smells, medications, everything. Everything. Like my husband will be like using natural fertilizer and I'm like, close the house. Like I, I instant headache can't handle it. And that's how birth control was for me. It was too much. Yeah. Yeah. Jim literally had like a thing of peanuts open on our counter or like the other day. And I was like, I can smell those from across the room. Like you have to shut that because like, I like peanuts, but I cannot, you get like sensory overload and barbecue sauce is my one. I freak out. I can't stand it, but I'm like, I, I hate medication. I hate pain pills. Like ibuprofen. I know I have to take it, but like, it makes me loopy. Like I, and I have severe allergies. So like if I go into anaphylactic shock, I'm trying to take Benadryl and stuff like that to stop it. Well, that's going to knock me out for 48 hours. Like I can't take chemical medications and birth control. I was on it for a very long time, but my body did not like it at all. I'm telling you, there is something related to endo. I've talked to so many people that have endo that have the same. I don't know if it's an inflammatory response, what it is. Again, I'm not a medical doctor, but just there's something there. Yep. Why can't we tolerate these things and nickel yeah. earrings? Like I can't wear, I remember being like Either. a kid, like my <laughs> ears would always get infected and there's just, and I talked to other people who have endo and they're yep. like me too. And I'm like, okay, something there's a correlation. There is, yeah. or like the allergies or the asthma or the ulcer, like it's, it's frustrating because there's at least right. One in 10 women, way more because that's diagnosed have endometriosis. We all have these other issues. And if we can talk and say this, 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 and this, and this, maybe they're not correlation directly, but they're at least symptoms or you're more prone to something else. Like the medical community could spend some time just trying to help us out with some answers. <laughs> I'm just, just saying that they want to jump in here. Like I am their biggest cheerleader. I'll support you. Research me. <laughs> Seriously. I, I'll donate my body me. to science for you. Like you can have any organ. You, if I have to, they don't want our bodies. I'm sure. <laughs> I did make a joke uh, that I'm an organ donor. And I was like, I don't know who's going to take any of them, but you're so not going to want any donor. of this. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. All right. So surgery number four, this is several years later. I get a very large cyst. I think it was like, I don't know, between nine and 11 centimeters on my left ovary and it was persistent. So it wouldn't go away. I don't want to assume I'm guessing it was an endometrioma, but never really found out. Right. Couldn't afford to keep traveling back out of state to see it, the endo specialist and was like, okay, this is a cyst. This should be something that can be handled locally. No big deal. So just went to my normal OBGYN. I have a new one at this point. Um, she's like, eh, I don't really feel comfortable with this surgery and everything you've been through, you know, recommend you find someone else to do the surgery, find someone else that comes kind of highly recommended, um, have the surgery. I remember waking up in recovery again, this is just to remove the cyst. And my husband's like, you're not going to be happy. And I was like, why? And he's like, they didn't do anything. Oh, he's like, I'm like, what? 
And he's like, they opened you up and he got in there and was like, it was so crazy in there. I can't, I can't do surgery on this patient. Are you comfortable if I ask you if they still charge you if they don't do anything? Right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they still charge me. So the positive, I guess, about this one was I was local at home and I had medical insurance. So it was like a routine. And so it was covered. Thank goodness. It wasn't like, you know, with excision, mostly you're paying out of pocket. Yeah. Thank goodness. Because Nothing How mad would done. you have been? Yeah. Oh <laughs> you may have I had mean, to like carry me out if I was in that situation. I'd be like, let's try this again, people. Like, like, what, don't take something. Just, Lie to me. Just go take something. People? Yeah. Oh. yeah like, I mean, at one hand, applauding for you not doing further damage because you're not sure. the right resource, but also yeah. like so frustrating. And this was a very ego felt like a little more ego driven doctor who was like, Oh my God. And then, but I'm grateful that he ended up not doing anything. So then I got referred to, again, there's no excision doctors in my state. Right. So I got referred to a fertility specialist who had at least knew what endo was said that he did excision, but he, you know, come to find out later he didn't, but who cares? I just need this cyst off my ovary before it ruptures or I have torsion or something. It's a big cyst. Yeah. So I, you know, he's like, are you prepared for me to take the ovary? Blah, 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 blah. And I said, yes, like just whatever I needed to do. Like at this point I hadn't had surgery for, it must've been like five or six years. So like, yeah, it was like, cysts were coming and going, coming, going ultrasounds, ultrasounds, ultrasounds. And I'm like, yeah, whatever we need to do. I'm like, will the right one just like take, like what happens? Do I have a period every other month? I don't know. Like I probably right. should study women's health more, but <laughs> just in case anybody wonders the right one takes over and you still have a period every month. Um, I didn't know. <laughs> now, you know, so he went in, he ended up taking the ovary out because he said the cyst was too big. Um, and that the whole ovary was damaged. And I'm sure yeah, that's yeah. probably pretty accurate. But so he took my ovary and tube. So I lost my left ovary and tube and that was in 2009. And after that, like things were better, a lot better. Yeah. Like I still struggled with cycle pain and brain fog and things like that, but I wasn't, I was like living like a pretty decent, normal life, like able to go out to dinner and like have a couple glasses of wine. I had given up coffee, dairy, and gluten earlier. Like when I first got diagnosed, because I just, before it was trendy before it was cool. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It really sucked. I remember the last day I like got coffee. I was like, I will have four shots of espresso. coffee. We're doing the big, listen, I can do no dairy, no gluten. I don't think I can go no coffee. I just, I just can't do it. Uh, I drink decaf now. Like yeah, I can do literally. Decaf. Yeah. Like I love decaf. So I just, whatever. Yeah. I'm so used to it at this point. Yeah. Um, it's been, I don't know. I think it's I gave the flavor it. for me. Like I don't me care too. about caffeine yeah, at me all. Too. The flavor. Yeah. I do. I love it. Like, yeah. I think I gave up dairy gluten and coffee in 2005. So oh, it's been a long time. Um, and I, I don't cheat because I've accidentally eaten at least dairy and gluten on accident when someone like it was in my food and they forgot to tell me or whatever. And I paid for it big time. So yeah. now I'm just like, I'm actually just scared to eat it. I, yeah. I, I should test it, but I am just afraid. No, nah, not worth it. Not worth it. Anyway. So I have that pretty good. That's 2009 in 2017. I still have tough cycles. Like yeah. I get married in 2012. My husband sees 
some of the, how bad it can get. Yeah. Um, but you know, going to work, putting the heating pads, those like stick on heating pads in my underwear, you know, just living. But again, my day-to-day was so much better that I was like, I'm not going to complain. Right. 2017. I, uh, I mean, you guys, you taught, you mentioned like trauma and PTSD. I started yeah. feeling nauseous again a lot and I just ignored it. I, I consiously knew something was wrong yeah. and was like, nope, I'm not, not doing de- this again, not doing it, not, yeah. dealing it, not doing yeah. it. And then in early 2018, it got to the point where I was struggling to eat again. And I was like, I this is not good. Yeah. Uh, what am I going to do? There's still no doctors in Michigan. And I've been dealing with this now since 2003 and now it's Gosh. 2017. And I still don't have an, a doctor in Michigan. Who's an excision specialist. So I called my, the doctor who had done the previous surgeries. And I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I, yeah. I feel nauseous again every day. And he was like, you have adenomyosis. I think it's time to get the hysterectomy. And I was like, I'm not, I I wasn't ready, um, to be quite, I just, I wasn't, and I don't have kids and I didn't, I was never particularly passionate about having children, which I know is very openly talked about. Um, I always just, I didn't have that gene. I don't know. I don't know what it was like. I, uh, if I see a stroller, and that's dog, completely okay. I know. And I, people need to know that narrative. <laughs> it's oh, and it is a, always like when we first got married, when are you having kids? When are you having kids? When are you having kids? Like yeah. at that point, people didn't even know I had endometriosis. Yeah. You're like, I would like to feel not terrible. For yeah. Like day. it's yeah. just also not a great not question a to ask. Do you know want to? <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. just, and my husband and I talked about it before we got married and it wasn't something that was, we're like, it may be down the road, but right now this again, but I wasn't ready. And I was just like, okay. And I made the appointment and I had wicked anxiety and it was like in two months. And I was just like my, again, going back to my intuition, which is something I've been leaning into so much just during this whole journey with endo. I just was like, no, like, no, there's something like, I just, there's something about the surgery. I don't feel and I called and I canceled it. And I was just like, I'm not ready. And they were like, yeah. okay, just call us when you're ready. And then early in that year, like I had decided to go to this like endometriosis event, ended up meeting a different doctor. And he was like, come see me. Like, I will help you. Cause he's like, how are you feeling? I'm like pretty awful actually. Yeah. And then I was like, you know, I'm really busy at work. So I'll, let's do it later in the summer when the movie business slows down. Cause I do marketing in the movie business. I was like, let's do August. I'm like, let's just, you know, had the MRI, some deep infiltrating endo was showing up. And I was like, yeah, let's just, August is great. Let's so, just schedule my relief. Yeah. Like I have yeah. life to get to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this was We're in May. so horrible. To I live with this every day. Yeah. Horrible. Like horrible. I was living, I, I lost 15 pounds. I mean, I, I was skin and bones. Like I was <sighs> drinking one smoothie a day if I could get it down. So nauseous. No. And I, re- I had to go to a wedding in Colorado in July, like two weeks before this, maybe three weeks before the surgery, my husband ha- couldn't end up going last minute because something work crazy happened. And so I went alone on that trip at the wedding. Of course, they didn't have a lot of food options for me. So I ate like a salad that had like a nut mix on top of it. Bad yeah. idea. Oh, I was wow. up that whole night and things came like what happened to me and I was alone was one of the scariest experiences ever. And I won't go into detail, but it was like, I couldn't have a bowel movement, but things were coming. And I was just, 
I was calling Delta and I was like, I need to get on a plane. I need to get home. I was like a two hour drive from there. It was just like your worst case scenario. I was super scared and all my friends are there and it's like a wedding and they're partying and having fun. And I'm just like, I got to get out of here. Like, yeah, you need help and you're not going to bother anyone else because the guilt with that is too much. And I couldn't even at that. Then I got to the point where I couldn't even eat. Like I literally (sighs) couldn't eat. And so I was very scared. Thankfully, Delta, thank you, Delta. If anyone from Delta, they got me on a flight. I got home and I was like, okay, the surgery's coming up. Like, what do I do? Like, I can't eat. And I just, I got home, I drank water, I rested and whatever it was kind of like passed. Like I still didn't feel great, but I was able to get like smoothies in the next couple of days. Yeah. And then I traveled to go have my surgery. And in that surgery, um, very rare case where endometriosis had strangled my bowel and I had a partial bowel obstruction, Mm. almost a full, like they literally said, we're surprised that you were able to function on a daily basis. Um, you're lucky to be alive because your bowel could have any, on any of those plane rides. Cause I travel a ton for work, could have ruptured dead. Oh my goodness. And I didn't, again, still didn't understand the severity of this until like 20 residents were in my room one morning. And I was like, what, what do you people want? And they were like, the bowel surgeon came in and was like, he was the chief of surgery. And he was like, I see maybe two of those types of cases, not even just endo, like that severe bowel type of obstruction where someone was functioning on a day-to-day basis. He's like, maybe two a year. He's like, that's why all these residents are in here because they want to see how you recover. I had, it was, I was in the hospital for seven days. Oh my gosh. And not to mention I had endo all, it was all, I don't want to say back because we don't know if it comes back or if it's microscopic or whatever it was, stage four was there again. Like that's how much there was everywhere, every (sighs) organ, every bladder, bowel, you name it. It was on there. My ureters, everything. And that was a really traumatic recovery. It was the most pain. I didn't want to take the pain medication the first night. So I was up all night and they were like lining me with ice packs. I was writhing in pain because they removed part of my bowel. Right. Of course I was in pain. I lost part of an organ. So I finally, they convinced me the next morning, they were like, can we give you a half dose of the Dilaudid? And I was like, yes. Yeah. And then I finally could start to like recover. It just shows how much you go through. And I, I, I tell people all the time, if I tell you I'm in pain, I'm in severe pain because I'm not going to speak about it unless it's to the point that I should be in a hospital. We conditionalize ourselves to accept pain. So quick PSA, don't schedule your health in the future. (laughs) If you know you need help, let's get those scheduled as quickly as we can with the medical system, because we deserve the same care we'd give somebody else. I mean, but every single one of us does that. Like, oh, I have too much going on, you know, in the next or the financials. Yeah. Uh, Let's, I'm going to wait a little bit. I mean, or, Hey, if we do that surgery tomorrow, that might mean I need one again before I'm 35. Maybe if I make it till next year, I can almost go to four. (laughs) Like it's a true math game in our head. We're always planning for the next thing. It's that's why I tell the story the way I do. Like I should have had surgery immediately. I knew something was wrong. 
uh, I could have died. I, I could have died. Do you say it t- took you like eight months? Were you saying like eight months to recover? It took me eight months until I felt 80%. That's mm. insane. Yeah, it was, that was a life changing surgery. And I still like, I got Jenna's book. Um, if you, if any of you have heard of it or seen it, it's more of like a journal. Yeah. And I, I think I have a lot to deal with because I opened the first page and I literally can't fill it out. And yeah. there's a lot that I still need to deal with, but that surgery in particular was such an eye opener of, wow, I really need to take care of myself. And I need to tell this story because I was so busy at work that I wanted to postpone my surgery seriously, like dead or work, make your choice. Like, sorry to be so serious about it, but I was so mad at myself. I was so mad. So I'm trying to work on balance. I'm, I'm better. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. And I think we, we're conditioned to work overtime and show up because we still have dreams and hopes and goals. And we know we have to work harder to do it with a chronic illness. And there's shame in the world to be out for surgery or your health. And it limits you. And we have all these things going through our head. But in reality, I usually tell people they're going to replace you quicker than your family can tell long distance relatives that you're gone. So don't put them first. You deserve to be first. Also in reality, like it's something that you're living with every single day. So you're like, what, what's a couple more months? Like what's a few more weeks? Like, is it going to matter whether I do it tomorrow or I'm, or, you know, in two months, I'm probably still going to feel terrible. So it's like a lot of that, I think is listen to Melissa. It matters. (laughs) It matters if you wait, that goes back. It clearly does. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to the systemic issue with this disease not being taken seriously. We're not taking it as serious as we should. If we would have gotten, if I would have gotten a phone call that said you have stage four breast cancer, I would have been in surgery a week later and I'm not comparing it. I I don't want to be insensitive because obviously that is, is it could be very deadly, but endo can be deadly for some people too. And it needs to be taken seriously. Yep. There's a lot of gaps to still fill within the process. Yeah. So was that surgery number four or five? That was six. That was six. Okay. So you've had a surgery since then. I have. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Yes. I'm done though. I'm retired. I'm retiring from surgery. Actually, I probably will have to have one more. I'm trying we to hope retire. You can retire. Um, yeah. So took a long time to recover a year later. Like I still, I hate to even like say these words out loud, but like horrible sciatica, my right leg isn't like working. I'm just, I'm so defeated. I'm like, what, how, like I, I didn't after, after six, I was like, never again. I'm never having yeah. surgery again. I'm done. And I'm like, what do I do? Like, I can't live like this. Like it was mm-hmm. bad. It was the pain was severe, the back pain. And like, I couldn't stand for longer than like two or three mm-hmm. hours. And I I'm at a standing desk for the people who are listening. I'm standing right now. And I stand all day because sitting is more painful for me. Yeah. So like I was, so in 2020 during the pandemic, I like called my doctor and I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know. How is this happening to me? Like I, I can't believe this is happening. And my doctor was great. And he, there's two people in the practice and they both were like, 
you have a really severe, they heard me. It was so great. It was just like on the phone, like you have a severe, you have severe disease. We got everything out, but you have adenomyosis. Like what's your next step? And I was like, I'm again, I was still whole, I was so scared to have a hysterectomy. I I don't know what it was. It was just a fear that I had because I was like, I've read so many like horrible things that happen to people. And I don't know about my hormones and I've been through so much. And I'm just, I was scared. Am I I tossing up this evil for a different evil plus endo won't go away. I think it's not a cure. Like, yeah, that's why I like try and like make it clear to so many people how much better my hysterectomy made me feel because like, I only read horror stories. Like I only read all of these terrible things that were out there and like all of the things that could go wrong. And nobody was saying like how much better you can feel. Yeah. I think that's similar with endo though too. So for people who start to really feel better with endo, they just move on to the next stage and they're not cheering from the the rooftops. I feel so much better. And so that's why we don't hear it for endo too. So, um, I had an MRI done just to see what was going on because like I said, I was not ready for the surgery. Also it was the pandemic. And I was just like, I'm going to have to live like this. This is just my life. The MRI showed that my uterus was attached to my bowel Mm. after the, this is very severe for someone who already had a pretty big bowel surgery. And it was like, if you wait, the risk is potentially having another bowel, like a bowel perforation. Yeah. And I was like, shit. Yeah. I can say that I was just, so I had one week to make the decision if I was going to do it or not. Cause it was like a lull in the pandemic. And I was like, okay, like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm, and I was just, I'm grateful that I did it. Yeah. Now I was very not ready going into it, but I also was like, I cannot have another bowel surgery. Um, I cannot risk my life to save this organ. And after the surgery, after having it, the pathology came back and it was like severe adenomyosis. And next day that sciatic pain was gone, gone. So I don't openly talk about having a hysterectomy because I still, I have shame around it. Um, I don't know why, but I don't openly talk about it. This is maybe the first time I've openly talked about it. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And I get it. I, um, the minute I thought a hysterectomy could be in my future and my gut told me like, there's something going on, you should push for it, which it didn't happen. I didn't get approved. Um, I started going to therapy immediately to start working through that because even though at this point in my life, I'm, I think I'm ready. I know mentally I'm not ready. And a lot of that is the stigma because it's a finality to a lot, a huge chapter. And it's a finality to something that gives women social status and whether you want kids or you don't want kids, you are changing the narrative and that's very, very hard to do and do it with pride because our society is not open to that. So there's so many factors and then there's so many medical fears. Um, but I'm very glad that you took the chance if it did relieve some pain, because that means you were, you know, you've been surviving. Like when I hear your story, all I hear is somebody who continues to fight and survive alone. Like you definitely had to find people to do the surgeries, but you've been pushing your narrative and I wouldn't know what choice to make left or right. There's no resource to trust. 
part of me wonders if we go through so much because we don't have enough knowledge going into these surgeries and who knows what they're doing is causing further pain or further damage. Like it's scary. Every time you take a new supplement, a new surgery, you're taking a risk with your health and it's terrifying. Yeah. Get a friend like Betsy who encourages you to (laughs) find supplements and relief in your life so you can have quality of life. It's really hard. Um, My therapist is amazing. She always tells me when I'm depressed, it's because of my trauma and my pain and I'm mourning it and it's okay. And when I have anxiety, it's the fears of those unknowns that's bothering me. But if you can live in the now and you can make decisions for your day, whether that's how do I address this pain? Do I sit? Do I stand at my desk? Do I hold my hip when I walk? Do I take pain pills today, even though I know they're going to make me feel bad tomorrow? If you can live in the now, you can make a decision that will help you have a better day. And that's all I can do because otherwise I spiral and I'm like, I don't know what to do. My body's not working. I'm going to make the wrong choice. (laughs) One step at a time, one day at a time. We have to live that way. But yeah, so now it's been two years. And I mean, I, my right side is always in pain, but I can live. So I'm very, very grateful. And it's been crazy. We're so honored you shared with us. I did write down and I would like you to briefly tell people about the advocacy work you've done. You've went to a lot of endo events. If you have advice for somebody who wants to be more engaged in this community, I feel like you also are like a big sister in that space. You're making changes, you're making waves, you're making us know we're not alone. So what would your advice to other people that says, you know, I have endo, I have, I don't know, I have a sister, whoever family member that has it, how do I help push this cause? Yeah. Thank you. And you know, the first thing I did, haha, I look back at it now. I just organized a pub crawl and found a charity and endo chair. There's multiple endo charities that you can research and find. Um, the one I did in 2011, the reason why I say it's funny is I did a pub crawl now that I can like barely drink and know that alcohol probably wasn't the best thing for me to be, you know, pub crawling while I had really bad uh, endo symptoms. It's okay. That's but funny. I, I didn't just, think about that. <laughs> I organized it with like friends and family to just raise money. Cause it made me feel like I was doing something to make a difference. You can host a movie night. Like you can yeah. rent a theater or go to a theater and say, I want to show a movie and all the ticket sales are going to go to endo. So those are like little charity ways, or if you make anything and you sell it on Etsy, you could give a percentage back to yeah. a, a foundation or something. Um, there's multiple wonderful foundations that are out there. There's a ton. So I would say do your research and, and maybe align with them or volunteer. I try to find places that I align with and that I'm passionate about. And I haven't really done anything, but that where there's an opportunity where I can speak and tell my story. If you feel comfortable doing that, um, it's very impactful. And if, if there's an event coming up and you feel like you want to share your story, reach out to the event organizers and say, do you have a space on this panel? Um, I'd love to, to help, or what can I do? Can I volunteer? So that's how I really got it started doing it. And then people just started inviting me to come speak on panels and, and openly talk about my story. So it really starting for me was sharing on social media several years ago. I think it was probably like five years ago. I started to be honest about what was really going on behind closed doors and why I was canceling on people last minute. And as more people saw that, um, I just 
got opportunities that came my way. So if you do feel comfortable and you don't have to share it on social, I've been very quiet on social lately. I just, I don't know if there's a lot going on there and it feels a little heavy for me. So I've kind of backed down, but, um, those are great ways to start. It definitely is. So when this episode goes live, I will post a question box. So if anybody has questions, we'll throw them over to your IG and let you answer them. But otherwise from the deepest part of our hearts, we appreciate you. And we, for me, you were, you were instrumental in me keeping fighting. And when my mental health got to the point that I didn't want to do this anymore, it was your podcast that kept me going. So I will forever be grateful that you exist in this world because you've helped me. So thank you. Oh, you're going to make me cry. Well, I really, (laughs) I really appreciate you both having me on and all that you're doing for the community and just being outspoken voices and and helping people and building a community around you. So if there's anything that I can do to help, please let me know. We appreciate you. you. Thank you. You have a good day. Thank you.